Hey, welcome back to Alpha Bunga Bunga, the global politics podcast at the end of the end of history. What comes next? I like the last one. I think we can uh, we can pick that up. I, I'm sure that will just fuel uh, <laughs> all the conspiracies about me being a terrible reactionary. <laughs> I think it's one of those things you're going to get slammed at whatever you do. So. Exactly. Yeah, I've started embracing it a little bit, to be honest, uh, because it's much more fun that way. <laughs> Today we're going to be discussing the politics of transgression and the alt-right with our guest Angela Nagel. Angela has gained plenty of notoriety, plaudits and acclaim for her new book, Kill All Normies, Online Culture Wars from 4chan and Tumblr to Trump and the alt-right, just published with Zero Books earlier this year. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. So um, before we get stuck into talking about um, Kill All Normies, the alt-right and the politics of transgression... um, Let's just see what we've been thinking about this week. So, um, shall we kick off with you, Angela? What have you been thinking about this week? So this week, um, Tara McCarthy was uh, a kind of, she described herself as an ethno-nationalist. And she used to do these shows, which were on YouTube. um, And she interviewed all the big old right figures. And it was very weird because she, she always had this very... Um, oh, I had to believe kind of like affected, like demure kind of way of speaking and stuff, right? And behaving. Uh, but the actual content of what she was saying was always kind of like incredibly dehumanizing and sort of horrible. So she would do these videos about how, you know, um, different races are subspecies of humans and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, but she she never really. I mean, uh, so anyway, basically, Tara McCarthy ended up getting kicked off of uh, the internet basically this week by these alt right guys, and she is obviously alt right herself. Um, I think that she. I heard that she took down all of her YouTube content, which was a lot of stuff, and she also went off of uh, Twitter, certainly locked down her account. And I then later watched a video of a bunch of guys, it was like a live stream video of a bunch of alt-right kind of Twitter guys, young guys who were celebrating uh, and thought it was the funniest thing ever that they had booted her out of the movement. And, um, the, it, you know, it was a concerted effort on their part to stop, um, as they see it, kind of attention-seeking women from trying to... Um, take the energy of their movement and use it for their own vanity and celebrity. So it's, I mean, did you read it as classical, just kind of classical misogyny or is it some kind of, was there some other political issue at stake in terms of purging, purging the movement or something? Well, I mean, it was, it's just interesting because they, they, um, I had been thinking about, well, you know, what was going to what was going to happen with these like new young women coming in, and um, now this has pretty much settled it. Um, they've been very much put back in their place, uh, and uh, it, I guess it was interesting too, in the sense that I don't know the willingness of her to think that it's okay to dehumanize people on the grounds of or in the categories of race because of, uh, you know, genetic kind of differences. But obviously there are, that also applies to men and women. And for some reason, she just thought of herself as being an exception to all of this, you know? Um, yeah. uh, and, and, and it's, it goes to the heart of like, well, if she thought that it was like perfectly logical and rational, um, to formulate your politics on the basis of, of, of what I just said, then how is she now going to compute the fact that, you know, how is she going to square like her own mistreatment with that? Right. Because yeah. by yeah. her own political philosophy, she deserves her own mistreatment. Yeah. Uh, she's a lesser category of person. So it just show it's a, it, in a way it's like, um, I guess it's it's a reminder of why the alt right are wrong, I suppose. Uh, and often they're they're most wrong 
for moral reasons, basically, you know, like uh, um, most people kind of intuitively know that and don't need to have it explained to them. But, you know, she had to actually see it for herself. It's funny because it seemed like some of the reaction to this. I mean, I I only caught a little bit of this sort of furore around this, but the tone seemed to me like a little bit similar to uh, to people's attitudes to working class Trump supporters going, ah, ha, ha, now you've lost your health care. Now you're getting getting screwed on taxes. Ha, ha, how stupid are you? Except I guess in this case, it feels a little bit more justified um, that she gets hoist by her own petard effectively. Yeah, because actually she did have incredibly nasty politics. But I always found her kind of intriguing because, I mean, there's no videos of her. Well, I'm sure there's some copied ones actually on there, but all her own videos have been wiped. But, you know, she always spoke in this almost like slightly irritatingly delicate voice, you know, like and uh, and, you know, she oh, I don't know whether that was just her real voice or whether she was like acting up the the kind of alt-right demure female thing, but uh, she, um, you know, she obviously felt in a way she had to be kind of like always quite made up and, you know, as yeah, and, and like very gentle and, and kind of having a really small voice. Then like uh, she obviously, I don't know, she thought that somehow she would be uh, treated as exceptional. But um, uh, yeah, I, I didn't... Uh, I still wouldn't gloat just because I, I um, you know, I, I actually did kind of feel sorry for her, but her politics were pretty nasty, you know. It's interesting, I suppose, also, I mean, and I guess we'll get on to this um, as we move on, but the the stupidity as well, I guess, the kind of political, um, the lack of nous on the part of alt-right men and the alt-righters who got her kicked off, because it seems to me like you really would want a woman to be able to front your movement in this day and age, it would make perfect sense to have a woman fronting it. And so to kick her off just seems to kind of um, collapse back into this self-enclosed subcultural space rather than trying to kind of expand politically. Totally. I mean, and the guys who were most excited about uh, doing it and who were really giddy about the fact that it succeeded uh, were these kind of like younger alt-right guys who were much more snobbish and are honestly just like not very emotionally mature and, you know, like really do prefer the subcultural aspect of it more than anything else. They want to, I mean, it's funny. It's like 4chan, the original guys who are on 4chan must be in their thirties now or something, but the the, the character of it has remained exactly the same, like as the politics have changed, like it's all about, um the the subcultural hierarchy and snobbishness around trying to constantly purge kind of uh new people and normies and stuff yeah um no it's fascinating and um i guess we'll um we'll be talking about it with the internet subcultures um george what have you been thinking about this week it's christmas drink season coming up so i've been trying to formulate some kind of philosophy of how a hangover is really um radical somehow because it you're you're clawing back some of the 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 work time from from the the previous <laughs> evening's leisure i haven't really the most petty form of resistance possible <laughs> yeah i have and it's obviously quite a self-destructive form i haven't really completely finished uh my, my is, philosophy on that I've one got, i've got to think that britain is that britain is that is most british uh at like <laughs> office christmas drinks people being drunk at office christmas drinks is the most british thing imaginable so true yeah it's also and that's a being, good um, thing or a, i'm assuming that's a bad thing from the way <laughs> I was you gonna say, so there is there is that thing you know like about the um the weekend being the revolution and monday being the counter-revolutionary restoration right which so always wins well, quite. So I guess the um, the hangover somehow kind of cuts apart those boundaries a bit, blurs the boundaries a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I should I should just say that if my employer somehow is listening to this, that <laughs> I'm obviously not hungover at work. Um, but you will be after the Christmas party. After I, Christmas drinks, surely you will be hungover. Otherwise, the employer would suspect that you didn't actually have fun at your Christmas drinks. No, I drink in, I drink in moderation and have a, a non-alcoholic drink every other drink, so... You're not gonna. You're not gonna trap me that easily, uh, <laughs> Phil. Okay. Um. What about you, Alex? What have you been thinking about? 
Well, actually, I need to give a shout out to, to Angela for this because I think she recommended this book. Um, I hate the internet, um, mm. and I'm quite enjoying it. I've just been reading it this week, and it's a really kind of blistering, very sharp satire of internet culture and Silicon Valley and the rest of it. And it kind of manages to touch on a lot of contemporary touchstones. I mean, it's like almost hyper contemporary to the extent that one wonders whether it'll be readable in like three years. I don't know, but. <laughs> But I think it's really sharp. I mean, I think you enjoyed it, right, Angela? Yeah, um, yeah. And it was actually uh, Roisin Kybert who interviewed me from Vice. I think she did the first kind of big piece in my book. Uh, she was saying, you have to read it, you have to read it. Um, yeah, it's a very unusual type of novel. It is, yeah. And I mean, I, I found the author's politics slightly irritating um, because it has a slightly kind of oddly 2000s, everything is horrible, anti-globo sort of feel to it. Um, yeah, which which comes through a little bit too strongly at times, and you just wish he'd kind of roll that back because actually on the kind of satirical aspects, it's very sharp. I think it's very good. Um, I think I, I'd probably recommend it as well. So, um, if I can kick off, then Angela, could you tell us how you first came across these internet subcultures? Maybe tell us a little bit more about your first encounter with 4chan. Yeah, um, I, I started looking at uh, online anti-feminist kind of internet culture. Uh, and I ended up using that research as the basis for my PhD. Um, and so, yeah, it was really, you know, 4chan struck me as the most interesting place where a lot of the, I would say, kind of cultural energy uh, was coming from. I wanted to try to capture, I just felt it was culturally significant in some way. The The tone I was seeing and the kind of like, there was something coming together politically, you know, in, in just like, you know, YouTube comments and, you know, Reddit and, you know, yeah. all over the, all over the place. It seemed like a new language was forming, like a, a subcultural kind of uh, way of speaking yeah. and, uh, and, and some kind of a coherent politics. So I just wanted to, to try and, um, just, yeah, try to make sense of it, look at it and see what was going on. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> interesting, though, because I think a lot of people at that time would have just uh, dismissed it as ah, the Internet. Uh, it's just, you know, yeah, the anonymity right, of the yeah. Internet allows the kind of id to run riot mm. and it's just morons venting or whatever. And the fact that it might take racist or misogynistic forms is kind of n neither here nor there. Um, I think that was people's general appreciation of, you know, YouTube comments or whatever. Um, and you've mm. framed it kind of differently, right? I mean, you've you've claimed that there is some that there is a uh, a sort of tendency, uh, a kind of cultural trend being expressed here, which is more than just what the internet produces. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it has kind of, you know, had a huge impact on. Uh, public life um you know the world of ideas um and so on in in the years since then um and you can certainly say that it kind of it defined the tone of younger kind of trump fandom you know for for a new generation who previously you know the right always found it very difficult to attract young people uh, not always, yep. but but the yep. but the conservative mm. right in more recent times always had the this thing of like it couldn't really shake the sense that it was always just uh, you know for older people it was behind the times it was kind of boring and so on uh, and it was really the online culture that that repackaged or made the right more interesting to younger people. And th I mean, this seemed to happen very fast. I mean, for those of us who weren't following it very closely, like you were, it seemed to have emerged kind of out of nowhere at the kind of maybe, I don't know, tail end of 2015 or something like that, or maybe early 2015. Um, I mean, where do you, how do you date it? How would you kind of periodize it, I guess? Well, in the book, I picked uh, the period of uh, the Obama administration. And then the Trump getting elected at the end. But that was really more because, um, you know, I wanted to, uh, you know, I had to kind of kind of um, uh, start it and finish it somewhere, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, no, it was actually quite a, quite a long time uh, in the making. Um, I mean, I started looking at it about eight years ago. 
you know. So, um, mm. so you know, it was developing um, for a long time. I would say that the the actual race oriented alt right stuff I didn't start looking at until relatively you know recently because um, that started to appear towards the end of that period for me. Right. Um, that does. I mean, it was there longer, but but it it didn't start to cross pollinate to such an extent with other forums that you know until then. Uh, and at that point, I think one of the interesting things is that the kind of the manosphere or the the anti-feminist internet, we'll say, started to become very influenced by it, um, and it its themes started to creep in. Uh, and kind of mix with the the ideas that had already been there about, you know, how feminism kind of emasculated Western men and so on. Right. I mean, I guess what I was so trying just, to drive at, but I guess we'll, we might come back to this, but just that there seems to be an acceleration of these waves of kind of cultural trends, mm. which are amplified by the Internet or sometimes only create born, you know, born online. Um to the extent that one wonders how long-lasting it'll be as well, because it might be something which actually proves relatively ephemeral. But maybe I'm going to let Phil come in, because I think he wants to ask a, a question prior to that. Well, uh, it builds on it. I mean, so talking about who these people are, I mean, remi- so reading mm-hmm. your book, it let me wondering about who these people are IRL, um, in real life, offline. And I guess it's, again, I mean, the same way that Alex said it's possible is people dismiss the internet as kind of mindless chatter with no structural coherence. Um, by the same token, I guess it's easy to just think that um, everyone who does this is to kind of uh, imagine that it's, um, you know, the kind of basement dwelling teenager, young man who hasn't left his, um, you know, hasn't left his parents' house, lives in the basement, spends all day online, jerking off, playing computer games, um, isn't getting, doesn't have a girlfriend. So he's kind of ranting about how much he hates women. So I was wondering, you know, what happens when these people switch off, which they must do at some point, right? Is there any um, is there any research that captures any kind of salient characteristics of the demographic? Or indeed, is there anything we could kind of infer maybe about who they are on the basis of what they what they say and what they do online? Um, I don't think I th- there could well be research that's very um yeah, there there could be research out there at this point, uh, though I haven't read any. Um, uh, I, I've always had to go on, um, yeah, kind of inferring a lot, like uh, listening to, for example, the way they talk about their lives in forums and stuff like that, you know, um, the typical kind of life that they would be describing. And, you know, in a way, it's kind of very, very average, Um it's sort of unremarkable uh, in terms of class and uh, location and things like that. The, it was always kind of, well, I was looking at a very American kind of um, uh, version of it. And, you know, um, yeah, it was kind of like younger, certainly uh, would have been quite typical, like teens, early 20s for most of the time that I was looking at this stuff. But um but not particularly, you know, a mix in terms of like class and things like that, I guess. And, you know, uh, in terms of the stereotype, the kind of angry virgin thing, uh, in certainly coming from the 4chan world, which is, which is significant in terms of the fact that it's the most culturally productive kind of style making, uh, space. Um, it, within the the kind of online alt-right world um that they are the stereotypes like um you know the those guys in the video in the live video thing i was watching last night about tara mccarthy just i mean could not have been more stereotypical like they literally had a conversation about how in the future they were going to eradicate women from the world and they were going to invent technologies that would allow them to give birth um to themselves <laughs> it's just utterly utterly bizarre oh we've all I mean, dreamt of it just, come on <laughs> <laughs> just guy talk just yeah guy that's talk. it yeah it's a weird guy talk though i mean it's really um you know like it, i mean i'd say i mean you know it's yeah i don't know i don't even know what to say really i mean it sounds like um 
Yeah, I'd say, I mean, it's not, because it's kind of so, it's guy talk that's kind of so weirdly, like, folded in on itself. Um, I mean, it reminded me of something you said in the book about the kind of the, um, what what do they call the involuntary, involuntary celebs. Mm, The people who are kind of involuntary. Incels and volcels. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Incels, yeah. And it it made me, I mean, so you say like that there is a kind of a group of disenfranchised young men, or at least kind of culturally, sexually disenfranchised who feel like they've um who feel like they've not benefited or they haven't kind of gained the uh, you know the sexual success that is their kind of entitlement and which everybody else seems to be getting and which is so valorized in contemporary culture and i wonder if um you know i mean is that is it is it i mean is it just normal that they're actually just at an age you know that everybody everybody thinks that everyone else is having more sex than they are you know it's that basic thing um, and that it's nothing which is particularly suspe- um, specific to our period. It just happens to be that these guys are expressing their rage and their frustration in a particular way. Yeah, I mean, I guess in the past we never had sexually frustrated people with the ability to like write, like write their their thoughts, you know, in in a way that you could actually read it yeah. anonymously, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe that that's always been there. Um, I do think, though, that it it, it kind of lent itself to becoming something political because of the fact that it's also part of a, 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 a somewhat lopsided, you know, sexual market, if you like, um, where, you know, we've had the decline of, of monogamy, which was very you know, socially, you know, enforced, I suppose, by kind of Christian, the Christian moral code and so on in the past. Um, And as that taboo is broken um, and we've become much more permissive and so on, uh, they have found themselves simultaneously in this permissive society where they can watch every kind of uh, porn imaginable all day, and they do. Uh, and then, and then in real life, they can't act on any of it. So they, 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 they're like, um, yeah, they, they're just incredibly angry about it because also they're very preoccupied. It, it always comes; these two things always come together. They're very preoccupied with the pe- the pecking order, which they explain through like evolutionary psychology and things like that. Yeah, yeah. and they're. They're they're angry because then they can see that they're not very high up in it, uh, but they're still willing to kind of use it to attack sort of women and ethnic minorities and so on. Um, but they, so I mean, obviously they they're not they're having trouble, I suppose, coming to terms with the fact that they think that if you are not high up in the social pecking order you deserve it uh and uh, and that you're basically some kind of subhuman uh and that they can see that they are not so that uh, you know that it must apply to them too but usually like if you look at like elliot roger as a kind of classic character like this um obviously he's an extreme case in that he actually did something about it and really did kill people but um you know he would always say like you know i'm superior to these guys how can how come these guys are getting women and i'm not even though i have this like this car and i'm handsome and stuff like that um (laughs) but even that there doesn't sound too far away from like a judd apatow movie or something like that you know that's not outside of the mainstream it's not it's uh, a good point actually yeah it's not a, such a marginal I guess expression, it, I guess, but no, that, that's true. I, I guess it's more like they all came together online, and yeah. they all started discussing their, you know, similar experiences, and it's... it started to take on, on a political form, you know, because they were finding political reasons for their experiences. So there is this kind of cultural context in which they emerge, um, but I just don't know whether it's political, I guess. And I've, I've kind of reading your book and reading other things that you've written and thinking about it, I kind of, I haven't come to a conclusion on it myself. 
to put it bluntly, I guess, like, how much should we care? How much does it matter? Is this just internet politics? Does it does that mean that it's real world politics? Is it something that presages what will become politics in in the real world? Um, is it something that exists in a complementary relationship to real world politics? Or is it nothing to do? Is it driven by its own dynamics and maybe isn't even politics in any proper sense? I don't know. Well, I, I mean, I just think that it is significant. Like, anytime I've had that intuitive sense, it's always turned out to be right in, in all of this stuff, you know, like, that, the, the, you know, you can kind of sense when there is, when there are numbers growing behind something and when there is a politics forming on a forum over time, over, lo- over all these conversations, um, that is going to be that is going to connect itself to things happening in the political or public world. Um, so, for example, you know, all of this stuff, all of this conversation that happened about the well, the crisis of masculinity, if you like, or whatever the 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 role of men, the uncertain kind of role of men, uh, you know, became then about the the feminism being a problem which then became about the emasculation of western men which then became about the emasculation of white men uh, which then became about the presence of um you know third world immigration and the political islamist movement which has its cult of masculinity um and on and on you know and and so it, it connected itself to so many different issues and in a way, it kind of offered an ultimate explanation for everything. Um, and that, that of course, is going to be very potent uh, for younger people. I mean, one thing that I think is worth um, thinking about is, you know, um, relatively small groups of people do kind of change ideas. Like, it doesn't make any sense, I think, to look at, you know, what do the majority of people think right now? I mean, even like the alt-right would say, well, look what the left achieved. The left turned mm. what used to be considered radical opinions into completely hegemonic mainstream opinions in a very short space of time. And, you know, if you look back at like who were the radical kind of people pushing that, it was often very small groups of people. Yeah. So, but I mean, I guess this only, this only happens in the realm of culture, of course, um, which is the interesting thing mm. because a lot of the... You know, of course, the the kind of supposed the culturalist left um, ideas coming from sort of postmodern academy and so on with regard to gender and and so on do have become almost hegemonic, I guess. Um, mm. But on the but the kind of the right version of it, you know, the kind of obsession with civil civilizational decline, declension narratives, which I think, as you rightly put it, kind of seem to tie the whole thing together for them and provide a kind of mm. easy answer. Um, that seems to only lead itself to itself a kind of culture wars politics. I mean, it's not um, it's not a kind of materialist politics in any sense. No, I mean, the alt right who have, who you know have, I guess you know are a small, relatively small in number, but have uh, in a way gained the most from this because they had the most coherent worldview. Um, and 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 got the most attention because they had articulate kind of spokespeople and so on. Um, I mean, they, you know, that 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 is their kind of view of the world, and they're an explicitly political organization. And um, uh, you know, th- they're they're certainly influencing everything. I mean, everyone wants to know. Everyone may hate them, but they they want to know what they're what they're thinking and what they're saying. They're almost like obsessed, you know, um, uh, even the mainstream media is. So, you know, they are kind of leading ideas in a way, you know. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, this goes to um, the question of political inspiration and political model. And I wanted to bring George in here because he has a particular, um, he has a particular interest in these questions of uh, the overlap between culture and politics. Am yeah, I right, I think, George? Yeah, no, so I think one of the things we're kind of interested in in this, in this podcast is is thinking about what the left could look like today, could kind of, I guess, and maybe the, the relevant question here is could could learn from the the alt-right and its its various successes. 
but um in in the book specifically you you discuss some of the inspiration and you even touched on this talking about hegemony so some of the precursors of the alt-right were explicitly gramscian in their focus and obviously gramscia i think it was politics associated with the left could you unpack a little bit what you what you mean by that yeah i mean uh, i i just really noticed that um that well, uh, in particular, the alt light, who uh, you know, in short, it's kind of like a pejorative uh, to refer to uh, people in that kind of milieu with like Milo Yiannopoulos and Gavin McInnes and Lauren yes. Southern and all those people. Yeah, sorry, could, um, could you just just explain, just in case listeners don't uh, get that distinction? Because I think yeah. you've, you've elaborated on it elsewhere, but it might just be really useful to... Uh... Yeah, so alt-light uh, is is just a, a pejorative used by the alt-right to to suggest that this group of people are the watered-down uh, mm. light version of them. Uh, and so this would include, yeah, the people I just named. Uh, and it's basically Mike Cernovich and people like that too. So it's basically people who had an anti-PC kind of politics who would have been galvanized by Gamergate, um, who are anti-feminist primarily, and but anti-social justice warrior, we'll say. But then they didn't want to go any further with it than that. Like, they basically, you know, they told everyone that, like, civil- Western civilization was in, you know, free fall, that it was collapsing uh, because of feminism and uh, cult- cultural Marxism and so on. But then they, they just didn't have any solutions. They were like more free speech was like the best they could come up with. And maybe an immigration reforms. Uh, whereas the alt-right were there to really pre- present, you know, solutions that were radical enough for the, the kind of, you know, the, the, the task that the, all these anti-PC kind of groups seem to be laying out. Uh, so yeah, that's the old light. Uh, the, they all had YouTube channels and were very popular online. A lot of personalities rather than political mm-hmm. formations. So, so what do you think they took from from Gramsci? Oh yeah, sorry. Um, the, basically, they were all very interested primarily in culture, and they would often repeat this idea that organized politics is basically boring and is a latecomer to culture, mm-hmm. like organized politics follows culture. And that if you really want to change the politics, you first change the culture. So yeah, I mean, you asked about the materialist thing, they weren't interested in, you know, economics, for example, or um, they weren't interested in the, I guess, in the material questions in any way, they, they really just felt like, change the ideas that circulate in the culture and then everything else will follow from that so this this idea that that politics is is downstream from from culture do you think Mm. do you think there's anything that the left could could learn from that is it is it basically missing the point or are there some of these maybe this is quite a complicated question are there some successes of the alt-right that might lead us to think that we you know, we could actually learn something from this. Um, I guess this mode of attack that they've that they've been deploying in, in the ways that you outline in the book. Well, uh, one thing that studying them has really convinced me of is that and this isn't a very Marxist view, to be honest. Uh, but I, I I just see so much evidence of it. I I can't help but think that it must be right that basically pretty small numbers of people conspiring together who are very motivated can enter into the culture and and you know get their idea across um and so the 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 conclusion from that would be you have to form a conspiracy <laughs> behind <laughs> the scenes and and never tell anyone what your what your ultimate goal is i mean i'm i, I you know i i'm just reading um Yanis Varoufakis's um, wonderful mm. work of polit- political gossip, uh, adults in the room, and uh, you know every everything is a political conspiracy basically. Uh, and if 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 we're not ha- if we're not uh, engaging in this, then everyone else is. You know, uh, this is a political conspiracy too. 
this think, podcast. This podcast, yeah. I think we're being a bit too public with it then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's we'll edit that out afterwards. It's fine. <laughs> keep, cons- keep conspiring. Keep conspiring. But, yeah, so well, maybe, you know, like, maybe... Like 4chan would, for example, have like operation whatever, you know, they, they all, they're always having operations and they, you know, they would have like a plan to... Yeah, that, that, that was their whole style. They were like, how do we basically like meme this thing into existence or how do we trick the media into um reporting about this in a particular way you know and um um like at the moment there's a, i shouldn't laugh because it's all very dark stuff but like uh you do get development of gallows humor uh, looking at this stuff after a while um i was laughing at the fact that the that you know how zizek wrote this piece about um how the alt-right and the burn well what he meant by alt-right there was like trump supporters basically he was using it you know in in not in a strict sense but he was saying basically that alt-right trump supporters and socialist bernie supporters should join forces Mm. and um they're kind of horseshoe theory which, yeah, which, yeah, which yeah. we love. Yeah, and and then the then there was this whole thing of like um, <laughs> all these conspiracies on the kind of left internet about other people on the left being like um, uh, stressorists and like secret Nazis who are actually uh, like whatever workerist Nazis or something. Uh, you know, like there's a conspiracy about Jacobin magazine, for example, being a secret, like, uh, right, a reactionary racist uh, type of project. Yeah, which is mad. Which is so hilarious. I mean, I like it. I enjoy those ones because they're so ridiculous that they, you know, they 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 just um, make themselves look ridiculous or whatever. But uh, but yeah, that that that. Uh, oh yeah, but uh, when I was looking at some of the discussions about it, uh, this idea of the. That this uh, like uh, left right like far left far right alliance that the 4chan guys were kind of imagining, I suppose. Um, although in the case of Zizek, it actually came to pass. Um, they they were saying, uh, okay, they were using this term Nazball. Right. Yeah. Uh, Nazball. Yeah. 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 And so they were saying Nazball is is a conspiracy to kick. Uh, these women, these alt-right women, out of the alt-right, so they they would be so put off by the by the uh, the communist kind of like politics that they would leave. <laughs> and uh, one of these one of these guys was saying that's actually true. That it that really is that we planned that. You know. <laughs> Moving, I guess then the next follow-on question about this. Um, what can be learned, I guess, from analyzing the alt-right. So would you say that legitimate conclusion to draw from your book is that the left should ditch transgression? I mean, this seemed to me, this was at least the conclusion that I that I drew from reading the book. And mm. I wanted to mm. know if if that was the conclusion that you wanted to put forward. It, should we ditch transgression as a modus operandi? I honestly don't know. I mean, I, 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 I changed my mind on this uh, sometimes. I mean, for now, uh, because we have, we've inherited this kind of like transgressive avant-gardist sensibility and it's clearly just completely stale because it's like every boring kind of like, uh, you know, um, you know, every ad company wants to co-opt whatever is transgressive. Like, uh, you know, it, it can't really be transgressive anymore because it's you know uh because it's it's almost become the dominant ideology um uh i guess though i was what i was thinking was almost more like um it leads you to a kind of um a, a way of um I, I don't know lazy kind of thinking or something like that where people mistake uh the aesthetics of transgression for something progressive, so uh, it, so basically, you know, this whole alt right like episode has kind of proven that uh, the right can do that just as well as the left. Yeah, uh, and that you know, and anyway, I was always very suspicious of anything that kind of said, you know, 
oh, like this, this is like a culture of resistance. Like, uh, so I bring in the kind of subcultures literature, for example, right? And a lot of the people who wrote about subcultures were like, uh, you know, resistance through rituals, like the, 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 the fashion and the behavior of these kind of subcultures yeah. was actually a form of resistance. Well, no, it yeah. wasn't actually, because, you know, a, a boring, regular, like, normie who just, like, is a trade union member is engaging in resistance, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Whereas, like, a person who just, like, wears countercultural clothes or something like that is not. Um, yeah, so so it's almost more like, I, I wouldn't necessarily do say like we we must like uh, drop this, but we definitely need to be a lot more critical of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think this was satirized quite well in the satirical novel I referred to at the beginning, um, which you had recommended, Angela, um, which is that every something along the lines of in San Francisco, every boring middle class, middle aged. Uh, married couple is pansexual and polyamorous and whatever and won't stop talking about it and it's really really boring <laughs> and i think that captures it quite well that everyone's sort of an outsider everybody wants the cultural cachet mm. of being somehow outside the mainstream no one you know i mean kind of no one's flying the bag the flying the flag of normiedom effectively right mm. um and i guess the following question is you know should one <laughs> should we be flying the flag of normiedom um but even that feels like too much of a self-conscious move. Um, yeah, but I, I would say this, like uh, as kind of an answer in a way. I mean, I think the it's not just the left. I think it's the. I mean, to put aside the left for the moment, it's the entire culture. You know, yeah. I, I think there's, I think there's something kind of sick in a culture that, um, in which that is the value system. Uh, like it's not it's not a very good value system you know do you like mean in which, in which, do you mean in which transgression is itself is the value system yeah and counterculturalism in general like yeah. when you have a situation where basically everyone is agreed that the worst possible thing you can be is a regular person um and, and everyone has to signal that they are special and outside of this apparently non-existent mainstream um uh, and like that's that's just a very weird obsession like uh i don't think that our you know grandparents and great-grandparents thought of themselves in that way you know um and um and what a what a paltry kind of like substitute for the institutions the traditional institutions that all this stuff is replacing like so what gave people's lives meaning in the past you know um uh, I suppose more, you know, in the relatively recent past, it's going to be your locality, your nation, your family, your community, your church, um, your possibly work, uh, you know, your trade or whatever it might be, that that kind of stuff. Um, and, and then, I guess, also a set of values like that the, the, the culture in general kind of um, uh, has agreed upon. Um I don't know. Yeah. It feels like now what we have is just um, everyone wants to be a sort of avant-gardist in a way. Like every, everyone wants to be an outsider. Everyone wants to be something different from the regular ordinary person. And uh, it just almost leads me to think more like, you know, we need something better than that. Yeah. That cultural cachet is so strong of being the being the outsider. Yeah, it's such a weird, it's a very weird preoccupation. But like, I think that, uh, you know, yeah, yeah go on. Oh, just like that, you know, avant-gardeism made sense when there was something to be outside of, you yeah. know, like, uh, and bohemianism and all that kind of stuff made sense when there was something to be outside of. And I think any kind of great culture will always have a place for outsiders, you know, um, in, but but uh, but when there's nothing else, when the center is totally hollowed out and there's no normative kind of culture or values or institutions or anything, um, then I don't know. That's that that seems a very um, a almost nihilistic kind of a basis for a culture. Like I actually often say, uh, I mean, Lena Dunham is very disliked in my kind of social world, <laughs> certainly, but. But girls is actually, yeah, gir- girls is actually quite a brilliant kind of show about all this stuff because the characters in it are so obsessed with 
cultural capital, but I would even say subcultural capital. Uh, the idea that you are special, you're unusual, you're creative, and so on. That they they would do literally anything to... It, it, it's a remarkable show. I mean, like, I've always been mm. struck by how Lena Dunham, who exemplifies so many of these things that we're criticizing, and that she effectively satirizes in her show, how she was able mm. to craft such a show when she exemplifies it. I mean, either she's incredibly self-aware or completely oblivious. Yeah. And I think, therefore, all the characters are... are, are completely self-obsessed and and horrible but it's mm. compelling viewing because it seems so true <laughs> such an yeah. accurate capturing of this it's, this specific milieu yeah no it's very damning actually isn't it like it's 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 a real uh damning kind of account of like the total shallowness of uh of, of our age basically but of of particularly you know, I think that one of the ver many kind of clever things about it is that it linked in the economic stuff, because, as I say, the characters in it, like, you know, there's one bit. I remember when one of them is saying, like, oh, my God, I might have to work in McDonald's. Um, mm. And, um, you know, the, 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 they're willing to do kind of countless like internships and, you know, um, live on the debt of or or, or live on the the excess wealth of their parents, which of course only lasts one generation typically, um, unless you're sort of a, you know, an oligarch or something. Um, and so there was this economic decline uh, led by these kind of young people whose only value system is um, being a unique individual. I mean, I think to kind of return slightly back to what we were talking about of kind of the implosion of the mainstream, the end of tradition, the sort of postmodern dissolution um, to the extent that one finds kind of um, expressions of anime um, quite a lot. And I mean, we've discussed this about kind of contemporary terrorism of a kind of a, a falling way of norms, which perhaps gives a certain permission to the carrying out of kind of nihilistic acts of violence, which we call terrorism, but probably doesn't even deserve that label. Um, but I think in this context, I think something that the alt-right refers to, which is something that you mentioned in your book, which I found quite interesting, is a, is an essay called The Impossibility of Conservatism, um, mm -hmm. which is that if the all institutions, have, very few institutions in contemporary Anglo-American society have any authority, um, and even those which people have invested with their attention, like the media, and especially digital media, have a massive trust deficit. So if you're a Burkean conservative, what are you trying to preserve? Uh, mm. And so they, of course, the alt-right kind of conclusion is is reaction, right? Um, but I mean, I guess in that context of um, perhaps a lack of a lack of norms cohering what society should be or what a section of society should be, what we're pushing towards, I guess the question is, to what extent does the left have responsibility for cultivating that? Something which was never the task of the left. I mean, we've... Um, disagreed on this podcast on this question before and kind of worth um, worth returning to that question now. Um, but I guess the point isn't the point that the left established a new hegemony. I mean, this is why the right can be effectively transgressive. Right. But it's a new kind of, it's the hegemony of, um, you know, kind of, uh, it's a certain kind... It's a hegemony that wraps itself in the mantle of victimhood. So, I mean, that's the way the kind of the liberal left has squared the circle. So it gets to be mm. a hegemony which denies its own kind of authority by basing its authority on the claims of victims, whether they be kind of um, minorities, sexual minorities, ethnic minorities, human victims of human rights abuses, um, the powerless, you know, speaking kind of it's the like when the, you know, the banks, the mega banks doing charities and having kind of LGBTQ events the Hillary donors, um, Harvey Weinstein having, you know, kind of charity dinners for Hillary, this kind of thing. So, I mean, that's the the institutionalized a culture which denied its own hegemony. And it's that and its hegemony, I guess, has only been exposed by the fact that it could be transgressed by the alt-right in the first place. Right, yeah, I'm... I mean, I yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I mean, I was just going to kind of kind of restate the kind of question that I was driving at, which is, I guess, to what extent in this sort of kind of cultural um, vacuum, um, I don't even want to say moral vacuum because <laughs> that sounds awfully conservative. I, I don't want to go there. But um, it, to what extent should the left cultivate a certain sense of, you know, what the good society should be, a certain ethos, which 
it's been pretty resistant to doing because it adopts the kind of countercultural mode as its default. Well, I will go there <laughs> and say uh, it is a moral vacuum. Um, I mean, you know, there there clearly is, you know, I mean, uh, the the the, you know, we can see the kind of embers of the old moral codes going out, and I, I actually think observing the alt right is really, and and also just observing the online culture wars in general. Uh, has given me a much stronger sense that the, those are going out and that we don't really have anything, we haven't quite figured out what is going to replace them. Um, uh, in other words, you know, like, do we have a, a set of moral codes? And, I, and I, don't, I don't think that you can really have a cohere a society in any way um, without them. Um and yeah, I think uh, I'm a sort of like Lashian socialist, you could say. So mm-hmm. I, I'm fine with being a moralist. No, I'm, I'm, with, and, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I mean, I think I think um, I think you know one of my favorite books is is After Virtue, where um, in which mm-hmm. he describes the the kind of the kind of morality of today as a sort of thin utilitarianism with a couple of mm. absolute no goes. You know, so whatever um, rape and genocide are obviously wrong, but everything else is like we don't really know how to find our way. Um, around the question of morality and there's a mm. resistance on the left to talk about morality as much as it might moralize its opponents or even its own internal enemies you know as, as it sees it you know in the kind of tone policing that happens mm. uh, so much online um so i mean i guess i guess in that in that sense there is maybe a case to be made for you know a kind of as you say a lashian left um which i which i like that's good coinage um uh trying to kind of cultivate a certain kind of more of a sense of where society should be heading and what a good society is. Um, well, it's going to, if I could, so just one point I suppose to add is that I think this, um, it's entirely consistent with um, the way in which capitalism is organized now, right? Because the whole point about these cultural identities, subcultural identities is that their base, I mean, they're partly linked to, I suppose, a kind of the end of a particular era of growth, the difficulty of absorbing a new generation into um, kind of stable career structures built around good kind of prospects of long-term rising productivity, rising growth, rising wages, and also the fact that they're all consumer-oriented. I mean, this, you know, I mean, the way in which you build these identities is, a lot of it is based around consumption, right? I mean, what you consume and how you consume. Yeah. We've reached the point, I, I mean, you know, so I guess we've been talking about um, the kind of how far labels have been swapped and how far the right has ended up acting like the left in taking kind of borrowing the Gramscian strategy of culture first um, in order to influence politics. And the left has ended up kind of um, becoming uh, having a kind of uh, hegemonic, a hegemonic, um, hegemonic and culture, cultural oppression. Um, and has put itself in the position in which um, its mores and values can be transgressed. So we've been talking about this, and I suppose it'd be good to shift to think a bit more widely about the reversal of um, these political poles in general and how far we can go with transgression. Yeah, Yeah, so I mean, I think an interesting question on on this specifically, especially as we're kind of a global politics podcast, um, to kind of close it up, is um, something I know that you're interested in, Angela, is, I mean, the notion that anti-globalization, as we used to know it in the 2000s, was and and the 90s before that as a sort of concern of the left and of course that took many different forms it was hardly unitary movement um it gloried in in fact in the fact that it had a multitude of perspectives but nowadays that term seems to be more associated with the nationalist right um the new nationalist right and i guess the question is how do you read this shift and i think we can maybe even loop back to uh to something that you referred to which was zizek's call for the left to take advantage of the schism on the right between globalists and nationalists that I mean, I, I think it, that the article was rather traduced, but uh, but this idea that you know that the kind of that there may be a common cause between the Bannons of this world and Marxists, you know. Yeah, um, I, yeah, it is interesting to see how you know what they primarily talk about, like a, a lot of these kind of new newish like populist right uh, 
uh, and nationalists and usually anti-immigration right kind of groups yeah the, the globalization is the the primary thing they talk about like some of them are actually making quite like left like anti-capitalist kind of noises but they they see like um international capital the banking system and so on as part of that um now the, some of that can go into pretty dark places right i mean obviously the mm. uh the anti-semitic stuff plays in very easily there yeah and absolutely. uh yeah um but uh, the more um the bit of it i guess that i think has potential uh and that you know has some um weight to it or whatever or or uh might be you know it might be possible to link in some way with outside um with with politics that comes from outside the right is um is a kind of collectivism i suppose like the the free market people at this point will say that's you know the left and the right are the same because they're all collectivists blah 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 but but in the sense that you know we have had for decades um a kind of an anti-social individualism uh and you know it turns out you know if you don't if you if if, if the majority of people actually believe in that um then you're not going to be able to act in any kind of collective interest and you know couple that with the breakdown of all major institutions um including trade unions and things like that and it's all it's a total disaster you know uh uh you know one of the the things about you know that that religion kind of gave us and and I, I i'm not i'm not religious myself i'm not suggesting trying to go back or anything like that i think we may simply be incapable of it now we we don't think in that way anymore mm -hmm. but you know it was a kind of collective um self-interest in a way like it, it was a way in which People were willing to collectively take part in in rituals in order to enforce general code that was um, conducive to um, certain uh, social things like the family and monogamy and things like that. I mean, I just think um, you know what I guess one of the things that they're kind of expressing is like there has to be something beyond this kind of antisocial individualism which is both to be seen both in the free free market thatcherism and in kind of uh left counterculturalism yeah. um uh, and they're they're right i mean there has to be something you know bigger and better than that there has to be some sense that you can actually transcend yourself as an individual and act as part of a collective in your collective interest yeah, and I mean, I think it seems that if there's one lesson that hopefully will be drawn from the kind of current moment is the degree to which, which I think is exemplified in the in the Hillary candidacy more than anything, that kind of individualistic identity victim politics that has dominated the kind of liberal left culturally is the kind of the best cultural component for neoliberal globalized capitalism. I mean, this is the point that Walter Ben Michaels, I think, makes quite uh more eloquently than I just did, but uh, but I think ho hopefully there there's the grounds there for at least a recognition of that um, confluence, and that a lot of the kind of symptoms of of this kind of breakdown that we're witnessing today um, speak to that. Yeah, I think so, as well though that th there is a, a one thing that you know, um, like I, I I've talked to some of them, or some of them try to talk to me on Twitter and stuff like that. And one thing they sometimes say is that basically, well, the criticism they the these alt right guys make of me is that I jump straight into these kind of really psychoanalytic kind of responses to them and and trying to try to psychoanalyze them in a way because you know which implies that you that they can't possibly be thinking rationally and that kind of thing, um, and you know you the the big thing that this is that the rise of the alt-right is about it's about lots and lots of things but probably the biggest one is immigration and the, the demographic kind of changes that are taking place in the west and um 
and particularly, you know, like say, for example, uh, if you look at the rise of like Le Pen and the right in France, uh, obviously they weren't, um, they didn't rise enough to, to be able to take power, but um, they got quite big. You know, um, you have this kind of, you have simultaneously a demographic transformation, a total breakdown of uh, the institutions, a total breakdown of a sense of, of collective purpose. Uh, and then on top of that, you have the, the, the sort of match being lit to all of it is the wave of, you know, massacres, uh, Islamist like massacres that have taken place in European cities, uh, you know, in, in, in recent years uh, where people were kind of shocked into seeing uh, you know the the say Bataclan or the Charlie Hebdo massacre or what have you, uh, and and ultimately that's really what this is about. Like it is about all the other deeper questions and the 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 psychoanalytic stuff around gender and so on. But that that's that's the the surface one that it's important to not miss. Last but not least, I guess we're interested to hear what your next project is. What are you working on at the moment? Um, I don't know. I'm kind of sketching out different ideas. Um. A part of me wants to go and write something quite um, positive and life-affirming and nice. <laughs> so Is I there was a part genuinely... of the internet that you can do that in? Oof. No, uh, well, I was I was genuinely thinking of trying to write something about, like, uh, because I, I read a lot of stuff on the subject of beauty, and it's very uh, something that's very, it, well, it's a preoccupation of, of the old right, actually, weirdly enough, uh, this idea that like modern society is ugly and so on. And, uh, you know, a lot of the people who've written very well on beauty have been on the right people like Roger Scruton. But I, I'd love to write something which is like re- like a, a reclaiming of uh, beauty in public culture that might mm-hmm. be based on a tradition of wild and people like that. Um, yeah, so that's very vague. But, but th- those are some of the ideas that are kind of knocking around in my head at the moment that sounds so you're lovely. not going to be you're not going to be you're not going to be talking about the bronies no i'm definitely sick of the, the subcultural <laughs> stuff to be honest uh, every day i get emails from journalists saying oh can i interview about keck uh, about keck or like can i interview about like why they're wearing white polo shirts and i just say no <laughs> <laughs> no you can't <laughs> On that note, well, thank, thanks, thanks for being interviewed by us. And then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. And um, oh. so that was um, that was Angela Nagel, and we were speaking about um, the politics of transgression and the alt right, growing out of um, the book that she's recently published, "Kill All Normies," available with Zero Books. Thank you very much for joining us. That's been your fortnightly Alpha Bunga Bunga. Thanks again to Angela. Join us again in two weeks for our final episode of the year. We're going to be defending doping and cheating and diving. It's a year-end sports episode with a whole bunch of guests. We'll be talking about FIFA, corruption, Russia, and all that. And also doing a Bunga Bunga year in review. That's on the 27th of December. Subscribe if you haven't already. You'll find us in all the usual places. Tell your friends. Catch you then. Oh, and here's a little bonus bit with Angela Nagel on Solidarity because she's such good value. Bye-bye. Uh, actually, one thing that uh, you know is worth discussing. Uh, it kind of popped into my head, and I, I, I think I got sidetracked. Is that um, one of the really terrible things about the left right now, in terms of its values and and stuff like that, is um, the fact that it has no, it, it has a, a kind of an anti solidarity like ethic now, um, where it prides itself on having no solidarity with people who've spent their entire lives on the left as activists and so on yeah. like it yeah. absolutely mm. revels in mm. like oh chomsky is the wrong position on antifa he's gone you know yeah. screw you old man <laughs> or <Absolutely>. you know <laughs> whoever and it, it is across like, in um no platforming i think is the best expression of this i mean it really struck me with julie bindle um mm. the radical lesbian feminist who has no platform here and um for her because she's uh has anti-trans views and she was no, you know, there'd been various kind of modes to no platform her at British universities from speaking. And I just, it was, it struck me, I recall, because, you know, she was instrumental, very heavily involved in um, lobbying and campaigning uh, for legislation in Britain in, I think it was the 1980s, to um, recognise rape as a crime within marriage. So, Mm. you know, recognising the bodily integrity and autonomy 
of um, women's right to their own bodies within marriage that they didn't belong to their husbands. And I thought, you know, such an important piece of legislation, she helped to pass it. Who the hell are you? You know, like, Mm. who the hell are you to no platform her? You know, I mean, whatever, you know, maybe, you know, we might end up disagreeing, but I think she at least, like you say, this kind of at least deserves a hearing. Um, And that very basic solidarity just evaporated entirely. Totally. And it's not just evaporated. They're actually actively, you know, working against it. Like they're they're actively trying and seeking out older, these older activists and kind of like saying, you know, your your time is up and uh, and kind of being they're, they're priding themselves of being irreverent towards the kind of old guard of the left. And I just think, okay, well, once you've gotten rid of basically every, you know, older, like living intellectual on the left, um, who's going to replace them? You? (laughs) 